0: Hi ladies, I'm glad you've joined us again for the um, MABC Ladies Bible Study Podcast. Um, It's Jackie here, and today we are going to be studying Psalm 83. It is a lament, and uh, we really can learn a lot from it. Once again, I am amazed at the divine providence of God Establishing this Ladies Bible Study Podcast has allowed us to continue to meet regularly in spite of the world around us. Church buildings have closed, we have been mandated to keep our physical gatherings to five people or less, and we still have unity in meeting together to study the Word of God. I also see God's providence in us studying the Book of Psalm. We as a teaching team had no idea that we would be facing a world pandemic when we were praying on what to study after Romans. But God knew. He knew we would need the encouragements and reminders that the Bible gives. In Psalm, we see lots of examples of how to relate to the struggles and praiseworthy situations of our extraordinary lives right now. I have been encouraged over the last days as I have listened to the teachings from Bev, Eva, and Rachel. It is encouraging how, in teaching the Psalms together, we can apply these teachings to the situations we are facing during this period of uncertainty. We have seen in the book of Psalms that David has praised God for his goodness, his glory, and unmatched perfect character we've seen david struggle with troubled times but during those troubles we also see his trust in god for his care we see that david knows where his help comes from and we see that his faith causes him to trust in the one in whom he has put his faith let's take a moment to thank god for his providence and his good word that we can learn from father god We thank you for meeting with us, even though we're not together. Um, We thank you for this podcast that we are able to um, um, reach out and to still meet in a different way. We thank you for the book of Psalms and that there are so many lessons in them. I thank you that um, you led us to study this book, especially during this time when we have so many uncertainties in our life. We can learn to praise you. We can learn to cry out to you. All because of your word. Thank you Father God for leading us. Thank you for being with us. Each woman in their home I pray that you would care for each of them and that you would help us to have clear minds focused on what you want us to learn from this Psalm 83 today. In your name we pray. Amen. This week we will study a lament. A lament is a cry of deep sorrow, grief, or regret. There are two types of laments in the Book of Psalms. They are individual laments or community laments. 65 of the Psalms are laments. The lament that we are studying this week is a community lament that was written as a song. It is a song that Asaph wrote during a time when the whole of Israel was under attack. When you hear it read, try to imagine singing these words Psalm 83 O God, do not keep silence. A song, a psalm of Asaph. O God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more, for they conspire with one accord. Against you they make a covenant, the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Jebel and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia and the inhabitants of Tyre. Asher also has joined them. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Do to them as you did to Midian, as to Caesarea and Jaban at the river of Kishon. They were destroyed at Endor. They became dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Orb and Zeb, and their princes like Zeba and Zulama. Zulamana. (laughs) These names who said, Let us take possession for ourselves of the pastures of God. O my God, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. As fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze, so may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace, that they may know that you alone, whose name is Yahweh, are the Most High over all the earth. As I already said, this is a psalm written by Asaph to be sung as a song. It is important to know who Asaph was in order to understand Psalm 83. Asaph was a Levite that was given the role of poet, prophet, and music director. We see in 1 Chronicles 15 verses 16 to 19 that Asaph is first mentioned in his role as praise leader, where he was one of the worship leaders to lead the Israelites in song of praise and worship when the Ark of the Covenant was returned to Jerusalem from the house of Obed-Edom. He served under the reign of David and Solomon. He was very much a part of the Israelite community and therefore was very much involved in what the Israelites were facing on a day-to-day basis. This particular Psalm is what is called an Impressatory Psalm. That means that it is a prayer to God asking him to invoke evil upon or a curse upon Israel's enemies. As we read it, you you probably hear many requests made to God to unleash his anger on the enemies of his people. I think it would be helpful to break this psalm down into three main parts to understand it better. If we were together on the board, I would have written out the outline that I have worked from. The first point is a cry for help. That's verse 1. The second point is a protest against Israel's enemies, verses 2 through 8. And the third point is asking for the Lord's intervention, verses 9 through 18. So our first point in the outline is called a cry to God for help. Verse 1. Can't you hear the desperation in this opening verse? Asaph is essentially saying the same thing three different ways. The psalmist cries out to God, "O God, do not be silent. Do not be silent. Please do not be silent. Right from the first verse of this psalm, we can hear the anguish in the psalmist's plea to God. From this first verse, we can see that the psalmist, like so many of us today, feel that if God is not speaking, not acting on our behalf, or not eliminating our dreadful current situation, that he simply is not listening at all. Right from the first verse, we can identify with the psalmist. How many times in your life have you cried out to God for help only to feel he isn't even listening to you because he has not immediately answered your cry? If you have felt all alone in your suffering, this psalm teaches us that you have not been the first to feel that way and we know that you will not be the last. It doesn't make your present situation any easier, but knowing and seeing that God answers in his timing should give us some comfort. The timing of the maker of time is always perfect and always serves the purpose of drawing us closer to him and bringing him glory. Our second point is protest against God's and en- sorry God- Israel's enemies verses 2 through 8. Asaph goes on to give God reasons as to why he should be listening and acting on behalf of the nation of Israel. Asaph is laying out the trouble they are in as a nation. The evidence he gives is very terrifying. The enemies of the Israelites have started an uproar. They are laying plans against the people of God. The enemies have formed an alliance, so to speak, with one ultimate goal in mind— Verse four shows us what that goal is. It says, they say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. This isn't the first time that another nation has had plans to destroy God's chosen people. But as many commentators believe, this might in fact be the first and only time that Israel's enemies have conspired together to eliminate the nation of Israel. Verse 5 goes on to reinforce this point. Look at it again. It says, For they conspire with one accord. Against you they make a covenant. The psalmist goes on to prove that they all conspire against the children of God by listing off all the nations that have joined forces to wipe out the Israelites. Now, in a perfect world, if we were meeting together, I would have taken this time to pull out a map and show you where exactly Israel was situated at the time that Asaph was penning this psalm. And then I would have shown you where all the camps of these enemies that are listed were situated. And I would encourage you to take the time to do that. Map out the location of Israel and the enemy camps. What you will see. Is that Israel was literally surrounded by their enemies. Edom and the Ishmaelites lived southwest of Israel. The Moabites le- lived east of the Jordan, as were the nomadic tribe of the Hagrian- Hagarians. Seriously. Gabal was probably a community south of the Dead Sea. Ammon, a nation descending from Lot, was located east of the Jordan. The Amalekites were also nomads living southwest of the Jordan River. And Philistia was located southwest of Israel. Tyre was northwest of Israel. Azur was a dominant nation that took captive the northern ten tribes of Israel in 722 BC. Asaph is showing us That whether figuratively or literally, the nation of Israel has enemies coming at them from all sides. Surrounded and feeling defeated, Asaph writes the word Selah. This means to pause or reflect. Yes, I guess so. You have to catch your breath after the realization that every single one of Israel's enemies is out to get them not only out to get them but making a pact to work together to destroy them. It didn't matter which way they turned, they were faced with an enemy that had the backing of several other enemies. There looked to be no way of escape. Are any of you feeling that way today? The overwhelming feeling that every way you turn you are faced with an attack of some sort. On the one side It's the fear of this novel virus that no one really seems to completely understand and there is no vaccine for yet. And then because of COVID-19, you are facing financial difficulties, familial strain, loneliness, or wishing you could have 10 minutes alone. There is mourning the loss of connection, mourning the loss of a job or freedom that just a few weeks ago you felt you had, maybe mourning the loss of normal life. The list goes on and on. The point is, like the psalmist, you might be feeling surrounded. It might not be actual foes that surround you, as did the nation of Israel, but you are feeling surrounded and drowning under the weight that life has us all in right now. Don't give up. Do not despair. You're not alone in this. More importantly, God hears your cries. Psalm 83 isn't over yet. The psalmist is going to show us how to gain encouragement during our times of struggles. Yes, the fears, anxieties, and frustrations you are feeling right now are very real. They are staring you in the face every which way you turn. But so is the reality of all the times God has been there for you in the past. We see in the coming verses that Asaph recalls times when God had miraculously reached down and destroyed Israel's enemies. That brings us to point number three, asking for God's intervention, verses 9 through 18. In this portion of the psalm, the psalmist is recalling incidents when God had cared for his children by defeating their enemies in the past. Asaph is asking God to do the same in their present situation. The first victory that the psalmist is reminded of God's victory over the Midianites, the Oh my goodness. The Midianites. Through his reluctant servant Gideon, the Median <laughs> No I can't see it. The Midianites and their nobles and princes, Orb, Zeb, Zeba, and Zelmuna were destroyed by the mighty hand of God in a most miraculous way. This victory can be read in Judges six through eight. Asaph is also reminded of the victory that God had where Barak and Deborah defeated Jabin and his army commander Caesarea near the brook Kishron. You remember Jabin, who was killed by Deborah when she pounded a tent peg into his temple while he slept? This is a victory that can be found in Judges 4 to 5. Here we see Asaph's prayer is that God would treat the present enemies as he had treated the enemies in the past. He is asking God to allow their rotting corpses to become fertilizer to the ground. He knows that God has not only destroyed Israel's enemies in the past, he has completely obliterated them. The psalmist has not doubted that God has in the past had victory over his chosen children's enemies. He is beseeching God to do the same in the situation they are finding themselves in now. In verse 13, we see that Asaph is taking a different approach to asking God for help. He is reminding God of ways through nature that he could destroy their enemies. In calling to God's attention the method of destruction, we can see that Asaph recognizes that God is the God who controls all of nature, Asaph is calling on God to control nature in such a way as to destroy those who desire to destroy his people. Starting in verse 13, we can see that Asaph is asking God to scatter Israel's enemies. The imagery that Asaph is using here is so vivid. Imagine in your mind's eye what whirling dust looks like. Think of a dust devil. Growing up in the country on the prairies, we would see these a lot in the summer, and they always fascinated me. A warm wind would come along and stir up dust along a dry patch in the shape of a mini tornado. These dust devils did not have the strength to do any damage to anything other than accumulating the dust along a road, field, or pathway. And they really did stir up the area that they moved through. Dust would be scooped up in these whirling winds and moved to another place, deposited who knows where, but nowhere near where they started off. This is the same as with chaff in the wind. As Bev explained to us earlier, chaff is the part of the wheat that was useless and would be carried away with a strong wind once it had been separated from the useful and desired part of the grain. Asaph is asking God to carry away Israel's enemies in the same way as the dust or chaff is carried away by the wind. In verses 14 to 15, we see Asaph referring to God chasing their enemies away like fire would lap up a forest or set a mountain range ablaze. We have all seen the news reels of the Fort McMurray or California fires. It is amazing to me how swiftly the fire moves. And as the fire moves along, it destroys absolutely everything in its path. One minute, a spruce that took years to grow and mature is standing there tall and strong. And the next, there is literally nothing but a pile of ash or a charred outline of a stump. Certainly nothing like what there was moments earlier. Asaph is asking God to do the same with the holy nation's enemies. The psalmist also asks God to pursue their enemies as a stormy wind or a hurricane would drive people out. If people do not seek shelter in a hurricane or storm, they, are, they could literally be swept up off their feet and blown away. They cannot stand up against it, and that is exactly the fury Asaph is asking God to bring against the enemies surrounding the nation of Israel. To end the psalm, we see that Asaph's concern is for the salvation of their enemies. The psalmist is asking God to bring shame, dismay, and disgrace to their enemies, and in doing so, that they and other nations would turn their hearts toward God. Look at verse 16 Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek your name, O Lord. Verses 17 and 18 follow with Let them be put to shame and dismay forever. Let them perish in disgrace, that they may know that you alone, whose name is Yahweh, are the most high over all the earth. The that there means so that or the purpose of which. There is a reasoning behind the prayer to defeat Israel's enemies. The psalmist's concern is not just elimination of the enemies of the children of God, but in eliminating the enemies that those being put to shame would turn their hearts toward God. That the enemies of Israel would know and acknowledge where their help comes from, just as the people of Israel do. The psalmist wants there to be a bigger purpose here, not just so the enemies will know God, but also so that the whole world would know that God is the Most High. In this respect, as noted by one commentator, it is God's will in the end that at every name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians two verses ten to eleven. In this, we see that the psalmist is praying for defeat of Israel's enemies within the will of God. He not only has the welfare of Israel in mind when penning this psalm, he also has the spiritual welfare of the surrounding countries and nations on his heart. How often do we even think like that? I think it's safe to say that I am not the only one that asks God to work on my behalf and my behalf alone. I rarely think of the benefit God's answered or unanswered prayers for me would affect those around me. Isn't our God great? His purpose and desire to care and intervene is not only for his children who he loves and longs to help. He also has a much bigger plan in place. His desire is for all nations to know him. And he can and will use whatever means to accomplish that. Even completely defeating some so that others will know and see the majesty and glory of God. So what does this psalm mean for us today? First of all, I think this psalm teaches us that it is okay to cry out to God. It is okay to feel like God isn't answering in the timing you would like. That shows that we are human and He is God. His timing is not our timing. As Rachel said last week, God's word and God's actions are one. God is as good as the promises He makes. He will not and does not ignore the plea of his children. So it is okay to have doubts that God is listening, but don't stay there. Don't let those doubts and fears swallow you up. Instead, let them bring you to a place where you are reminded of the answer to prayer that God has shown in the past. This is the second thing we can take from this psalm. Remember to look back on all that God has done for you in the past. Recall all the times that God has miraculously moved and answered on your behalf or those around you. Ask him to bring these to your mind if you are in a place that you can't even think of them right now. The fact that you are looking to him, reaching out to him, praying and asking him to reveal past victories shows that you know from where your help comes. You already know that it is God who has and will intervene for you. The faith that you are showing by crying out to him and looking to him for encouragement from past situations is at least the size of a mustard seed, and that is all that he requires to move mountains. He will surely act on your behalf in the trouble you find yourself in. Lastly, I was convicted to look at my list of prayer items. How many times do I think there is a bigger picture surrounding my situation? I'm so self-focused and all consumed with my circumstances that I forget that in my trials, God can be glorified. The psalmist saw this to be true. He saw that God could destroy the enemies of the Israelites, but that by doing so, other nations would seek God, his mighty power and love, all for his ultimate glory. So look at the trouble you're facing now. Cry out to the God who saves has answered and cared for you in the past and has as his ultimate goal to bring every man, woman, and nation to the saving knowledge of him. When it feels like you're surrounded by trouble, be encouraged. God knows. He sees it. He has walked this path with you and others before. He has seen the end of it and he has a plan in it. Let's pray in closing. Thank you, Father, for your holy word. Thank you that when we study it, you reveal yourself to us. When we study your word, we can see your love, care, and protection for us as it was for those who wrote your word so many years ago. You have not changed, and your word has not changed. Thank you for being the one sure and steady fortress we can run to in the midst of life's uncertainties. Amen. God bless you, ladies. Take care. Bye-bye.